Joe acquires what he thinks is a Southern accent. Trans people apparently don't have driver's licenses, and a young barista is triggered by having to work a full day. A new November-sized grouping of losers is ahead. Then, I'm joined by country music star John Rich and the one and only Kellyanne. Yes, that Kellyanne Conway. Hot damn, boy. The show starts now. So it's a new month, but sadly Joe Biden is still in office and still a loser. He makes this list every week, and you're about to see why. Earlier this week, he and his noticeably slipped cog ventured to Florida to reassure folks he is A-OK. He even acquired what he seems to think is a southern accent. Just roll it. A senator from Florida going after Medicare and Social Security? I tell you what, I don't know where, as they say, the southern don't know where y'all been. Hot damn, boy. I tell you, look. So I've lived in the South on and off for nearly five years now. My husband was born and raised in Florida. We and everyone in this room currently live in Nashville, Tennessee, and we have never, and I mean never, heard the phrase, hot damn boy, used. Not ever, not even once. But if you thought Joe's geographical familiarity and locational prowess was a little off there, well, wait till you hear what else he had to say. And they talk about inflation. You know, we're dealing with it for a whole second. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia's doing. I mean, excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine. And uh, think of Iraq because that's where my son died. The, uh, because he died. So not only did he mix up Iraq and Ukraine, he also apparently does not know or remember that his son actually died of brain cancer, not in Iraq or even in the Middle East, but in Bethesda, Maryland. I just have no words, and apparently neither does Joe, our president, our commander-in-chief, leader of the free world. On to my next losers, the losers of NBC who have reached peak woke, claiming the reason we can't enforce voter ID laws is because they disproportionately impact trans people. Take a look. NZ gears up to hit the polls, transgender voters are concerned they might be blocked from casting their ballots. Yeah, that's because a growing number of states are enforcing stricter voter identification laws that disproportionately impact the community. NBC Out reporter Joe Yurkeba joins us now with more on this. Joe, good morning to you. So first of all, how can voter ID laws create obstacles for transgender people? And where do we see some of the strictest voter ID laws? Sure, yeah. So voter ID laws disproportionately impact trans people because trans people are more likely to have IDs without the name uh, that they go by and the gender marker that reflects how they present. Okay, at the risk of sounding a bit insensitive here, I'm going to go ahead and say, cry me a freaking river. The integrity of our elections, especially given the current Democrat-led hellscape we're forced to endure, is a little more important than the feelings of the small percentage of trans voters who don't like that their IDs don't match how they identify or how they feel that day. Who freaking who? Either update your ID or get over yourself, because we in the South and Midwest, states that actually give a damn about election integrity, aren't going to drop the strongest safeguard we have to prevent voter fraud because it hurts your feelings, period. And speaking of baby soft feelings, triggers, and BS microaggressions, meet my final loser of the week, a Gen Z barista who is apparently overwhelmed by a normal work day. I am literally about to quit. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but like, I really want to. I almost walked out today and I'm crying in the back room right now and I almost cried on the floor. It's just... 
I like I get I'm, I'm like a full time student. I get scheduled for 25 hours a week, and on the weekends they schedule me the entire day open to close. I'm on the schedule for eight and a half hours, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm like three and a half hours into my shift. There's so many customers, and we have four people on the floor all day. <laughs> Only five people were put on the schedule, and somebody had to call out. And there are four people running the whole store, and there's so many customers, and there's possibly scheduled five people. <laughs> Okay, so let me first of all say to this barista, if you're overwhelmed because your peers don't come to work or don't work at all, welcome to the club. And also, what socialism looks like. We're all sick of quiet quitters in this country who don't feel the need to show up or work hard when they do, and this barista has a right to be pissed about that. But I'd also like to point out that an eight-hour workday is pretty standard. It might not be fun, and you may be understaffed, which I empathize with you about, but being asked to work what is, or at least what used to be, a standard hour amount is not some kind of tyrannical medieval torture. Sadly, young people have been taught that it is. So I fear we're raising a whole generation of losers, and that is the scariest part. Oh, but still ahead, she advised former President Trump, and now she's giving her predictions and best pump-up advice heading into next week. Kellyanne Conway joins me next. We are five days away from what many of us are hoping will be a day of reckoning. Republicans are vying to not only take back control of Congress, but also make big gains at the state and local level. And by the looks of the latest polls, we may just do it. For the first time since July, 538 polling indicates Republicans have over a 50% chance of Senate takeover. But with even just days to go, anything can happen. Joining me now with some of her predictions and expert advice is the one and only former counselor to President Donald J. Trump and author of Here's the Deal, Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne, I feel so fortunate to have you this close to midterms. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me. So I planned on just talking about midterms today, but then, you know, that speech last night just delivered so much wonderful content our way. Although, Kellyanne, it's not new content because he delivered almost the exact same speech two months ago. But what do you think was the strategy behind a speech like that? To me, there's no strategy behind the Biden-Harris White House or their speeches or their issue set because it never matches up with what Americans are telling all pollsters are most important to them, Tommy. It's been so clear. It's rising costs, rising crime, the hangover from our lost learning and our, our terrible declining test scores and what we've done to our kids emotionally and mentally from all these lockdowns for too long. It's a little bit of abortion. It's a lot of security and affordability, physical security, financial security, border security, national security, mm -hmm. and of course, economic security. And and, and so I don't understand a White House, a bully pulpit, a president himself mm -hmm. who cannot just look at what the public is saying and reflect it back to them, make them feel confident that you hear them and that you're there to solve their problems. Instead, Joe Biden, again, ventured out a couple of miles from home, just a few miles from the White House in Washington in a non-swing state area and delivered a speech about a topic that's not top of mind to people, the threat of democracy, democracy on the ballot, excuse me, democracy is always on the ballot because the ballot is democracy, one person, one vote enshrined in our constitution, but democracy belongs to all of us. We are a constitutional republic. The right to vote, feeling good about that vote belongs to each of us. It does not belong to the Democratic Party or Joe Biden or their allies in the media. Um, but it's, it's also just completely tone deaf and a parallel universe to what people are saying keeps them up at night. Um, so I'm really struck by what Joe Biden didn't say last night. Nothing on 
He mentioned inflation zero times, crime zero times. He doesn't mention the recession. He doesn't mention school choice and charter schools. He doesn't mention the unfairness of having plumbers and carpenters pay for lawyers and doctors and the student loans. He doesn't mention the unfairness of men and women's sports. He doesn't mention the unfairness of our tax system. He just says things that would, I wouldn't even say animate the base anymore because that's not what you're trying to do five days before an election. But look, Joe Biden went to the one district where he was welcome, Union Station, the train station, everybody, Amtrak in Washington, D.C., not a swing state, not a not a place where Joe Biden feels as unpopular and as welcome and as unwelcome as he does elsewhere. But, you know, at the same time, if they're going to keep doing this and let them keep saying it because uh, it, it benefits the Republicans and the growing majority and the fact that we're going to have a great monster night next Tuesday because people know there's one party working for them, women, Hispanics, working Americans. They are all gravitating toward the Republican Party away from the Democratic Party, which frankly, most days looks like a, a party of rich white liberals telling everybody right. else who they are to think and how to vote. Well, and I was also perplexed that he tried to draw that line between the still very mysterious Pelosi break-in and January 6th. I mean, to start out and talk about that, obviously what happened in the Pelosi household was horrific. We can all say that. And as Republicans, we condemn political violence at every turn. We wish the Democrats would do that maybe even one time. But trying to draw that line and say, you know, they said, where's Nancy? And that's exactly what they said when they stormed the Capitol. I mean, they're still trying to make it about January 6th. Are they ever going to let this go? It's not working. But they keep dredging up that tired narrative and that tired storyline hoping to make fetch happen and it's just not happening they're not going to let go of it because they can't let go of trump everything is trump 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 i mean their trump derangement syndrome is real and there is no vaccination or booster for it it turns out it afflicts people in all types of ways and they simply can't get past it uh, january 6th was a terrible day in our nation's history i've been very upfront about that but i think of january 6th and paul pelosi's attacker and the man who shot steve scalise and all acts of crime the same way we have an opportunity and notice to be heard. It's We are built on the rule of law. If you want to arrest someone, indict someone, prosecute someone, punish someone, let's do it. Have at it. Let the system work. But this ridiculousness of thinking that people all across this country, Tommy, wake up and say, today's January 6, 2021. It's almost January 6, 2023. <laughs> yeah. And people are saying, you know what? I can't pay the rent. I can't make the car payment. Uh, the fastest growing group of new homeless in our country are single moms who have a job. That is a disgrace. We need to get back to economic policies and energy policies that work for those who are working mostly. So I don't, again, I don't even know who he's talking to. If he wants to talk like this, he could just go on like an MSNBC primetime show. He doesn't even have to go to Amtrak. He doesn't have to you know, speak and, and, and fight with the teleprompter yet again, where the teleprompter <laughs> yeah. always wins. So between him and his and his vice president, they're really um they're really off the mark and out of sync with Americans. But I have to say, selfishly, I hope he stays. I hope he runs again. I just sent him another shipment. I just sent Joe Biden another shipment of fresh fruit and vitamins because whew, I'm really afraid of the vice president ever, ever yeah. becoming president. No, I think we all share in that. I mean, it's two catastrophes for the price of one, really. I want to get to some of the hot races that the country is looking at with anticipation. And I want to start 
with Arizona because that's a very interesting state. You know, it's not often that a gubernatorial race gets so much national attention, but this race with Carrie Lake, the media cannot stand her. And I think it's largely because, like Donald Trump, she turns it back on them. She turns it back on her opponents. She starts going on the offense instead of always just on the defense. But what do you think about Carrie Lake and the caricature the media has tried to paint her with? Well, Carrie Lake has earned her right to that nomination for governor of Arizona, and she's earning the win right now against Katie Hobbs, who's hiding, who the one interview she did was such an unmitigated disaster. It was hard to watch, but fun to watch again. Uh, She was asked by by the interviewer, what is your message for Hispanics in the state? And she's talking about how her sister-in-law is Hispanic. She's talking about, she might as well just been Jill Biden with the breakfast tacos. It was so insulting. It was so inadequate. And that's really the, I think that's the Democratic Party in a nutshell right now. They think it's enough to not be Donald Trump, to not be Republican, to say, we're for women, we're for Hispanics, we're for union households, we're for, well, you know what? They're not for you. And so if they don't think you're for them, they're not for you. I think Carrie Lake has done a masterful job at certainly using the media to her advantage of showing that she's unafraid, fearless and peerless when it comes to answering questions and then telling them what question they should be asking, what matters to Arizona. But she's done it with substance. I don't want her, I don't want people to look at her and just say, oh, it's all style. She was a, she was a, a commentator. She, excuse me, she was an anchor on the news in Arizona for years. And so she's good at that. As you know, you cannot be a great messenger unless you have a great message to communicate. And she's done exactly that. Carrie Lake has delivered the substance. She's come with solutions to the problems that are vexing and perplexing the people of Arizona. And I think she, like Donald Trump, gives a great example of how best to handle the media. The other reason the media don't like either Carrie Lake or Donald Trump is because they're sort of in the media. He had The Apprentice for all those years, number one show when he started, and of course has been a fixture in media for decades. And then of course, Carrie Lake was that they don't like when one of their own beats them at their own game. And she's done it so well, and we're all rooting for her. At least I certainly am. I want to go to a place that uh, Biden will not go, and for good reason, Georgia. (laughs) Uh, He sends Obama to Georgia, but, you know, they're steering clear of Georgia. So I want to get your take on that and then also what you think is going to shake out. This has also been uh, a media race. There's been a lot of talk about Herschel Walker. There's been a lot of attempts to defame him at every turn. I don't know if it's working. It doesn't seem to be working. But what do we think is going to happen in that really, really important race in Georgia? Well, you just said something about Georgia doesn't get enough coverage, frankly. So thank you for doing it. Where is Joe Biden in Georgia? He went to Georgia to give a very incendiary and lie-laden speech about Jim Crow too, about voter suppression. He lied about the new Georgia law. Many of those companies, as you know, pulled out of Georgia. Major League Baseball moved the World Series last year. Oh, clutching our pearls. And it turned out. None of that was true. Nobody had actually read the law. And more importantly, we have record turnout right now in Georgia, record early vote turnout in Georgia. And of course, Stacey Abrams himself, having lost the governorship there in 2018, became more powerful. She went and registered a million new people, but she's gone to Hollywood, to Silicon Valley, to cover a Vogue magazine for, I think, the voters of Georgia. So Kemp should be fine there. On the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock Senate race, they have tried to castigate and denigrate and really diminish and ruin Herschel Walker and voters. Tommy, they have this way of snapping back. You know, at first it gets their attention and they feel I have to focus on this. Let me suss out the facts. 
and not just the screed. And, but when they hear it again and again and again, and all of a sudden they conclude, excuse me, Raphael Warnock, excuse me, media allies and Democrats of Raphael Warnock, you are attacking your opponent instead of attacking inflation, attacking right. rising crime, attacking lost learning. You are, you're so focused on your opponent you're not telling me what you're going to do for me. And I think they've created a little bit of sympathy for Herschel Walker among people who otherwise may have been inclined the other way. The other thing is Herschel Walker is probably the most improved candidate of the cycle. He's gotten really good and comfortable on the stump. And he's he's another one, unafraid to answer the questions, to meet with the voters. There's no substitute in your job, my job, or that job for doing the work. Right. You have to be prepared. You have to show up. You have to do the work. Uh, I think Herschel can pull that out. And that'll be a big, big step in the right direction to showing that Georgia is not this new blue state that Hillary tried to make it in 2016. And of course, with those two lost Senate races and the specials in early 2021, Raphael Warnock, like John Fetterman, like Nelson, um, excuse me, Mandela Barnes, ladies and gentlemen, they are extreme left wing candidates, a, you know, a pro-abortion preacher and Georgia, and uh, he's just trying to skate by and make that race about Herschel Walker. That race needs to be about Raphael Warnock, his past statements, and his current voting record. Oh, I agree. And I think people are honestly sick of dragging the personal lives into it. I don't think people care anymore with the rise of reality television and social media. I mean, everybody's life is on display. Everybody's got skeletons in the closet. I don't think people care. But I also want to turn to just a quick point on early voting. Uh, early voting is great because it, it expands the opportunity for people to vote. But I've always been a little wary of so much early voting because I'm afraid that too much happens after people have already cast their ballot. I mean, I think Pennsylvania is a perfect example. I mean, every time John Fetterman speaks, it seems like it gets a little bit worse. And so I wish that voters would maybe wait a little closer to the election to cast their ballot. Do you think that that's going to be problematic at all as we get closer, that people have already early voted and maybe they're going to regret that early vote decision that they made without knowing all the facts and all the personality? It does have its challenges, Tommy. And it's really interesting that women traditionally are late in the game deciders. And if you listen to them in focus groups, if you read their responses to open-ended questions and polling, many of them do say, hey, I just want to see what's going on until the very end. In other words, did I read all of your plans? Did I get that last direct mail piece? Is there some October, in this case, November surprise, that affects me personally, I want to know about. But they do wait to go through all the debates and the candidate pitches, closing arguments. Uh, all those who are saying, I'm concerned about the future democracy, excuse me, well, then you should be concerned about people casting a ballot two months before Election Day, before, in the case of a Tudor Dixon running for governor of Michigan against Gretchen Whitmer, she just started her first ad. She didn't have the money to do that. Right. And now the polls are tightening a little bit. And I think not, not surprisingly, because she's out there saying, this is what I stand for. And I'm exposing Gretchen Whitmer, who's not been a great governor of Michigan. So I agree with you. I also just question why we have election season, election trimester. If it's that important to you, graduation day, wedding day, retire, then, then it should be election day with a couple of exceptions, but not the COVID compelled once in a century exceptions that we saw two years ago. If that truly was because of a once in a century pandemic, those many of those measures should not be codified, institutionalized and made permanent. You could talk to me in 98 years about how to handle it the next time. But until then, let's get back to showing people that your vote is so important. We want you to take the time and show up and cast the ballot on election day. Unless, of course, you need an absentee ballot for a different reason. That's always protected. Right. But just doing it because it's convenient before you know enough about the the two the two or the many candidates. I agree with you. Yeah. No. And it would be nice if people voted on election day 
in person with a voter ID, that would be just magical. But we Amazing. know that that's how it used to be. But, you know, now that's racist and oppressive. I want to turn to what's going to happen. I do think and, and I, I want to knock on wood because we never want to, you know, count our chickens before they hatch. If we do win big on Tuesday, we take things back. How much is that going to do for not only our party, but for America? Are we going to be able to stop the things that this Biden administration is doing to our country? Is it going to make an impact on our daily lives even before we get to the really important election in 24? Yes, Tommy, help is really on the way. People literally feel they literally cannot afford another day of Joe Biden, the Democrats' policies. And I think Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are going to have a governing majority, not just a bragging majority. Like, look, we're in the majority now. We get the chairmanships. We get the gavel back. We're going to investigate. They're going to have a governing majority that's going to allow them to do something they must do, which is put that legislation forward really quickly and put it on Joe Biden's desk. And whether he signs it, that tells you all you need to know. Joe Biden needs to decide if he's going to have a Bill Clinton welfare reform moment or a Barack Obama after the 63 seat law shellacking his words in 2010 moment where Obama, he played ball a little bit with the Republicans, but he mostly just pulled back on that wildly left of center agenda. He didn't try that again on his way to reelection. So I believe we're, we're going to start passing common sense, conservative pieces of legislation, put it on Biden's desk and challenge him to face the music and face the voters that this is not the way uh, to do things. Also, there are just some things that you can do when you when you control committees, when you um, have the committee staff, there are just things you can do to to right the ship. I mean, look, look at what Biden's done. The most expensive executive order in United States history is apparently is his student loan forgiveness program. So I think there are, there are investigations. There are there are there are measures that the new House can take, even short of waiting on the president. That will let people have confidence in their competence and see that things are actually happening quickly. Look, I also think to not have Speaker Pelosi there <laughs> yelling uh, every Thursday and denigrating half of the country um, is going to be a big boon. I think that the Republicans who will be in charge in leadership positions, they're conservatives and they will stand up and say, here are the solutions. We heard you and we're here for all Americans. Uh, looking forward I also want to go to two things in my last two questions for you. One, Republicans take over. You mentioned investigations. Are we ever going to have a legitimate investigation into two people that I think really need to be investigated? One, Hunter Biden, and two, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Do you think that that's probable if Republicans take over? Are those two finally going to have to face the music? Hunter Biden, I'll say yes. And I think the country will be behind that, one, not 100%, but a lot of the country wants that. You know why, Tommy, this is not, oh, you're picking on the president's son. No, this is people saying, I know you were using Air Force Two to fly around with your father, who then was the vice president or had been, and then would be a future president, promising what the big guy could do to these folks. And to countries like Ukraine and China, does that sound familiar to anyone? Are those countries in the news at all, folks? And so people are going to want to know answers. I think it's less about the embarrassing things we see about him and his life on, on video and more about trading your father's position or promises in the future uh, for money. We know Joe Biden has no energy, but Hunter Biden had no energy experience before he got <laughs> yeah. that seat in Burisma. So we have a right to know. As for Dr. Fauci, it does sound like people like Senator Rand Paul and maybe some in the House do have an interest in knowing 
the fullness of what was known by the United States government and when, what could have been avoided? Because they always say if it's a once in a century pandemic or it's a big one and we're still fighting it, people are still dying from COVID. Joe Biden could not shut down the virus, et cetera, uh, as he promised. We need to know uh, where the failings and the gaps were, how our money was spent, what worked and what did not work. And everybody should welcome questions like that so that we all have transparency and visibility. And I think if you're Dr. Fauci and you were so public facing, so ubiquitous, couldn't get enough out of every TV show that invited you to speak and speak and speak, uh, answer every question, you got to answer these questions as well. Yeah, he ruined a lot of people's lives, quite frankly, uh, moments that they'll never be able to get back because of his guidance and because of the pandemic that he oversaw. So I would like to see some accountability for both of those individuals and many, many more. All right, I promise this is the last question, and I know you probably can't even give me a, a real answer on it, but I want to know, any kind of inkling you can give us about 24, if your former boss is considering possibly throwing his name in that race, because everybody I talk to Trump is still front of mind and they are eager for it. Well, it's true, Tommy. And uh, I think if you're a betting woman, you bet on Donald Trump running. And if he runs, that's his choice, of course, but he'd love to. And I'm in touch with him and he he would love to, Donald Trump would love to be president again for a couple simple reasons. One is he shares the sadness and frustration of most of this country with what's happened to our country and his great Trump-Pence policies that have totally unraveled in such a short amount of time. And number two, he knows he's the guy who did all these great accomplishments? He, we need somebody who, you know, really going to challenge the establishment. Not worry about, uh, oh, you can't do it this way or that won't work or there aren't the votes. Like you need someone in there who's decisive and resolute to get things done. So he wants to have that binary cage match rematch against Joe Biden. It's not a clash of personalities. It's a clash of policy and policy. What's your life? What were your gas prices? Your grocery prices? Your regulatory burdens? Your taxes? What, where were the kids? What what was going on with energy policy under Trump versus Biden? When I say where are the kids in school, et cetera. And so that's an easy one. And the other reason that Donald Trump wants to run for president again is he has unfinished business. He had a whole second term agenda planned. It's that much more important now than ever to implement it because we're gonna have to go backwards and backfill some of the things that have been stripped, I think, out of spite more than ideology. I'd love to say that Joe mm -hmm. Biden's really turned into an ideological warrior he just seems to govern on spite, and spite is no way to run this great country. Um, sounds like Donald Trump agrees with a majority of Democrats who don't want Joe Biden again in 2024. So, um, but if he runs, if Donald Trump runs, it uh, it kind of freezes the Republican field. There will be some who run against him. There will be some who run against him to be a spoiler and throw the race to a Democrat with less than 50% of the vote, which would really be a shame. Uh, but I think it really scrambles the Democratic side. Donald Trump has a better chance of being the Republican nominee for president than Joe Biden does to be the Democratic nominee for president. Uh, and you know what? That is music to so many people's ears. They are just sitting, waiting, hoping for that announcement. And we're hoping to see you back, not only in our TV screens, but back in that White House doing your thing because you are sorely missed. I will tell you that. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us and uh, all eyes on next Tuesday. We really appreciate you giving us your insight. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Kellyanne. All right. Up next, he is a country music star, but he's about as far from woke as they come. The one and only John Rich joins me next to discuss it all. Next week is a big one. 2022 midterms and the CMA Awards hit Nashville. And I want my next guest take on both. Joining me now is country music legend John Rich. 
We're going to get into the CMAs because there's some country music feuds that I'm pretty excited about. But first, <laughs> I got to get you're your excited take. about people fighting. That's such a shock. Yeah, I know fighting, but finally one side is standing up. So we're yeah. going to get to that. But first, I want to talk about that speech last night. I just had Kellyanne Conway on. We talked about it. But again, the double down on the mega Republicans being the biggest threat to this country. I asked Kellyanne, and I want to ask you, what do you think the strategy was behind that, this close to midterms? Not not a list of accomplishments, not here's all we've done, just January 6th and Paul Pelosi. Okay, well, let's think about what's getting ready to happen on November 8th. I mean, they're about to get absolutely steamrolled, and they know it. So to give a speech like that, yeah, you ask yourself, what's the point in this speech? What are you trying to prepare people for here? Right. It sounds like to me that, you know, the left loves chaos. They love chaos. They love, they love people being really upset as much as they can get them out into the streets. They want to get them out into the streets. I'm not really worried about November 8th. I'm worried about the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th yeah. and what it's going to look like after that. I think he's. Uh, I think he is stirring that pot so hard. It, it's interesting though that the real conservatives, like guys like me, girls like you, you're not going to see me out in the street. No. There's nothing you can do to get me out in the street. Now, if you come in my yard, you come to my door, you try to get in my house. That's a different story. But we're not the ones that go take to the streets. It's almost like they're trying to keep whipping everybody with a stick as hard as they can to get them fired up enough. I think you could arrest Donald Trump and people would not be out in the streets. I really believe that. Right. I just don't think we're going to come to you. You just don't come to us. But I, I think they want to see some chaos when this is all said and done. Well, they're just not really getting the energy that I think that they thought they were going to have. They thought that the abortion issue was going to really mm -hmm. do it for them. Um, it well, didn't. Well, or yeah. Faded. Well, I mean, the the disasters that they've caused um, go so far outside of of political differences that people have. Everybody has to buy gas. Everybody mm -hmm. has to buy food. Everybody has fentanyl in their zip code. Everybody's seeing all these things happen. Everybody watched Afghanistan. Yep. Okay, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. That's affecting every single American person, and so that kind of overrides your political differences. You know, when you see the the Hispanics down in Texas and throughout the U.S., for that Florida matter, well, yeah. flipping hard back towards Republicans. You know who hates illegal immigration more than anybody? Right. Legal, Legal immigrants hate it more than anybody. I grew up in a trailer park in Texas called the Tierra Grande Trailer Park. So most of my neighbors were Hispanic people. They worked really hard. They stood in line a long time. They became citizens. They started businesses. And when they see people jumping the line and just running in, it infuriates them. And on top of that, for their businesses, all these people are coming in, diluting their diluting their workforces, making so mm -hmm. many people want to do the same job and the same kind of business or whatever they're into. It's bad for business on top of that. So I like seeing the turn that's happening. It's unfortunate it took this much pain right. to get this result, but we're here. We're just hoping that we can make some real changes before 2024 so people can see what a true America First Republican machine can do for the country. We saw it with Donald Trump. I'm just hoping that if Republicans do take back control, it's not what we saw in 2017 and 2018, where we've got a lot of soft Republicans who didn't do mm -hmm. much. I think that they really need to take the opportunity and run with it, because now well, is not the time to be a rhino. Correct, but we still got a bunch of rhinos sitting in there. Yeah. I mean, Mitch McConnell makes my skin crawl. Lindsey Graham makes my skin crawl. I don't like Kevin McCarthy. I don't either. Okay. Yeah. There's a bunch of the some of the biggest guys in the party. I, I just go, thumbs down on you, buddy. I mean, no way. And I think most people feel like that. Most conservatives and Republicans are going, absolutely not. So we got to hope that enough real McCoys 
get in there that they can make these guys go in the right direction. I'm hoping. Some good governors coming up. Some Michigan has an opportunity. Obviously, Arizona has an yeah. opportunity. Boy, they really don't like <laughs> Carrie Lake. I talked to Kelly oh, and Conway about that, but they really hate her. And I look at her and I'm like, this is exactly what we need. So I did a rally with Carrie Lake about two weeks ago out in Arizona, middle of nowhere. Literally, when I tell you the middle of nowhere, the nearest hotel was 45 minutes from where we were playing. I know that because I was staying in that hotel. Yeah. It's 45 minutes in the middle of nowhere in like a rodeo arena. There's cars parked on either side of this two-lane road about a mile long in the ditches parked down and people dragging their chairs. There was like 6,000 people at this rally that showed up out of nowhere. They hate her because she won't uh, she won't back up. They yep. can ask her that what they think is a tough question, but the truth is an incredible answer. When you answer with the truth, they don't know what to do about that. And uh, I, listen, I think she's presidential material at some point. Oh, I do too. And I like the way she turns it back on them. I think the abortion issue is such a great one because instead of saying that, you know, the Democrats are always coming after anybody that's pro-life or anybody that's Republican and saying, you know, oh, you want to ban all abortions. And she turns it back and she said, when do you think the cutoff is? Mm -hmm. Make them answer that question. Oh, is it do up that. until birth? Because they need to be answering that because the people need to know their extreme views on abortion. She's one of the only Republicans that I know of that has been able to effectively do that and get them on their heels for a change. Well, she, she supports this novel little concept called the 10th Amendment, right. where states have their own rights set apart from the federal government. And so when you have a governor strong enough to buck the federal, govern, federal government with the 10th Amendment, go, no, nope, we're going to secure our border. And if you don't like it, there's nothing really you can do about it. I have the 10th Amendment or whatever else she decides she wants to push. I wish Tennessee had a governor that oh, was stronger. <laughs> you know, I'm not a big fan of our governor in Tennessee. I've, I've, I've been eyeball to eyeball with him on several subjects and they did not get handled and they should have been right. handled. So listen, we got we got to hope we get enough real McCoys in there to steer this thing back onto the road. I hope you're right. And it's about us finding them as well and leading ourselves into 2024. I want to go to another interesting thing. I want, I'm very interested in your take on because I know that you're all over the truth social. I mean, the number one song, you've had incredible success there. Mm -hmm. But now Twitter with Elon Musk in charge. What do you think? Do you think we're going to get some transparency on Twitter, some exposing of the algorithms. Is it going to be a free speech platform? It's probably not going to be like Truth Social. It's not going to be like a rumble. Mm -hmm. But is it going to get closer? Probably get closer, but I think the jury's out on Elon. I mean, yeah. pick a day, you're going to get a different thing coming from Elon Musk. Uh, did you see his Halloween outfit? Yeah. What was that about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, if y'all yeah. haven't seen that, go look up his Halloween yeah. outfit, and you'll go, why does he have that on his chest? I mean... I wouldn't wear that yeah. on a bet. I'd rather show up with nothing on than with that on. So I think the jury's out on if Elon is the savior for, for the freedom of speech or not. You know, when you get up into those kind of ranks, Tommy, do you really know what you're looking at ever? The only, yeah. the only, the only filter I can put or circuit breaker with somebody, are they a real McCoy or not, is how much pain are they willing to endure and continue speaking the truth? Mm -hmm. If they're willing to continue banging through it, then I go, that's probably a real McCoy. I mean, you saw they threw Greg Phillips and, and uh, Engelbrecht in jail. They're sitting in federal prison right now for not divulging their source on uh, on the guy that they actually arrested in California. I mean, there's some stuff going on that news won't even cover right now, but the people are watching. We're reading. 
we're finding it, and we're going, wonder why the news isn't covering this. I wonder why somebody's not talking about this subject, but we're watching. Right. And I think that's an important thing in this country. So many unanswered questions, and we hope that we could someday maybe get to the bottom of it. It's unfortunate, though, that big tech has so much control over it. I think COVID's a big area where people are very frustrated that they can't get real answers on vaccines and this, that, and the other. Pandemic amnesty. Yeah. That's now a new they hashtag. want amnesty. That's a new hashtag this week, pandemic amnesty. But you know, John, they still want us to get all these boosters, which uh -huh. is weird to me. If you want to ask for forgiveness, I'm all for that. Have some humble pie and some humility about what you did to this country. But then don't sit there and say, get booster six, get booster seven, knowing that there are vaccine side effects, knowing that the vaccine is next to worthless for most people. Here's, still a, pushing here's it. a poll somebody should run. Poll only unvaccinated people. And the question is, do you regret not getting the vax? <laughs> yeah. Run that poll one yeah. time and see what it comes back at. Yeah. The answer is nobody regrets not getting no. it. Nobody. Nobody no. that I know. I didn't get it. You know, I had to turn down concerts. I had, I had to shut concerts off where the buildings retroactively said your fans have to show their paperwork at the door to get in. I said, that wasn't in the original contract. Well, it's just the situation now. I go, then I'm not playing the show. And so there was like four or five concerts, big ones, that I said, ain't walking in the door. You know, we have to get to a point in this country where a dollar bill doesn't make you roll over. We have to get to that point. You sure hope so. But I think now, even with New York rolling back their vaccine mandates, they're hiring back the workers, giving them the back pay. And that's great. But I want to know, and that's great for those people, I want to know where is the back pay, where is any, any kind of consolation for those that got the vaccine that didn't want to get it i think that's that yet got to it. come i think that is yet to come there are answers to all these questions we're just not allowed to have them right now but that's another thing i hope with, when these republicans roll it on the eighth i hope that they they get in there jim jordan and some of these guys Rand paul listen Rand paul's stock with me has gone through the roof mm -hmm. i never really knew what i thought about Rand paul i'm like i guess i kind of like Rand paul i don't know it's kind of an odd kind of a guy the yeah. way he talks and but then when I saw him going after Fauci over and over and over and would not let up and was asking him these questions that were wrapped, you saw Fauci's hand mm -hmm. shaking. That's how you know he was hitting him on the nerve. I went, Rand Paul went way up. So we need people like that to stay on this course and get the answers for all the rest of the American people. I've got family members that, that uh, I've got one in particular that got the, got the jab and then got the booster. She's now uh, dealing with all kinds of health issues that came out of nowhere. Right. We all have stories like that. We do, and they don't want you to share those stories, and they tell you that you're a liar and you're dangerous if you do share them, yeah. which is a big problem I have with big tech and the whole collusion there. But I want to turn now to country music okay. because it's getting a little bit more interesting. A couple things on country music. One, <laughs> they really want to make it woke. They, they really do. They, they want, really do. They want the average country fan to believe that we are woke, even though we know for damn sure that we are not. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I want to talk first about Luke Bryan bringing Ron DeSantis mm -hmm. on stage. And, of course, when you see the video, it's, it sounded like everybody was booing that. But I'm not so sure because Ron DeSantis is doing very well in Florida. Floridians love Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. And country music fans are conservative at heart and in nature. I think it was maybe the American Idol fans that were mad about it because Luke is supposed to be Mr. Hollywood now. But what did right. you think when you saw some of that well, backlash? Well, the video I saw where DeSantis walked out, they started screaming and hollering and clapping and right. cheering and go, yay, our governor just walked out. Uh, you know, the guy that handled a major hurricane probably better than anybody in the history yep. of America, of any governor that ever handled one. And they were hoping he would fail, by the way. To the detriment of people. Well, that's how, that's how you know how well he did is that there was no negative press on the hurricane. Yeah. 
because he just he just had it all. He laid it all out and he executed that perfectly, as perfectly as you can. I think it's interesting, Luke Luke Bryan. Uh, I've known Luke since before he had a record deal. I mean, I remember seeing him in, in writers' rooms at little publishing companies trying to get a writer's deal. And you know, brick by brick, this man has built this gigantic career. He's one of the biggest hearted guys you're ever going to meet. You know, he adopted uh, kids from 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 his brother, and he's he's raising kids that aren't even his kids because he's a really good guy. And he goes down there to help. Now, the interesting thing would be, let's say DeSantis wasn't the governor, but it was Gillum was the governor. Mm-hmm. He would have still gone down and done the show. He would have walked out with the de- with the Democrat governor, mm-hmm. and he would have said, hey, we're here to raise some money and have some fun tonight, just like he did. And nobody would have said boo about right. it. But Luke's getting a taste of what it's about right now because he did nothing wrong. He didn't make a political statement. He didn't do anything that would ruffle a feather but he's still getting all this venom. And that's just, uh, that's a testament to how nasty they are on the other side of this deal. I just wish that we would have more you, more of the <laughs> Aldeans out there that are yeah. willing to say, Aldean you know, I don't, I don't like to be political, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I love you if you're a Democrat, but I'm a conservative. I, w- I wish we had more of that. But the Aldeans, I mean, they've Aldean's been in like it. like this right now. He's like, come on. Yeah, I mean, no. He's having fun with he it. He is. And I think it's, fi- it's liberating, I think. I think that that family is feeling what it feels like, and you know it, and I know it, to liberate yourself and say, this is where I stand, and I don't care if you don't like it. And guess what? My fans aren't going anywhere. But when you saw that right. whole debacle with the, the Marin Morris and now she's trying to sell shirts off of it, calling Brittany Aldine insurrection Barbie, what yeah. a feminist, by the way. What did you think of that whole thing? I'm so happy to see these conversations break out into the open because the, the country music industry as a whole, not all of them, but the vast majority of them that control all, of, all the big record label companies, publishing companies and radio, are wild-eyed liberals. They're as liberal, maybe more so, than most of the Hollywood people you're going to see. And the fans don't know that. So you've got 80 million country music fans sitting out here listening to their country radio station every day. Terrestrial radio is still king in country music. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that radio dial sits people that absolutely hate everything about you, including a bunch of the artists. But they don't say that. They just walk out and they placate the audience and then they go yeah. backstage and go, what a bunch of deplorables. And then they, they drink their wine with their pinky up and make fun of you and drive down the road and get another check. I mean, that's what a lot of them are doing, a bunch of them. A bunch of them fired band members, bus drivers, tour managers they'd had for 15, 20 years because they wouldn't get the jab. I'm talking names that are selling stadiums right now, mm-hmm. that level of artists. And so the fans are now starting to get a little glimpse into, oh, wow, that's that's who's been singing to me this whole time? Yeah, you ought to come to Music Row and meet who's running your your uh, your, your little local record label one mm-hmm. time. You'd really be shocked. When I finally saw that completely take a grip on country music, that's when I had to step out of it. I said, listen, there ain't nothing in the world worth it for me to go down and kiss the boots of these people. It ain't happening. And if that's what I got to do to get my music out, then I just won't put any music out. But I figured out other ways to get my music out and still compete at the highest level. And I'm having a blast. This is the most creative freedom I've ever had in my entire career. That's the liberating part of all of it. I wish people could know what it feels like to be authentically yourself and not go out of your way to offend people. I mean, I think that that's what makes you different. What I hope makes me different is, yes, I'm a conservative. I'm sarcastic. I poke fun. I say, let's go, Brandon. But I don't walk out on the street and wave my mega hat in people's faces trying to start a fight. I just am who I am, and I'll tell you what I think, mm-hmm. but 
I like people of all we know that about you, by the way. We've come to learn that about you. <laughs> yeah. You're just, I got to tell you what I think. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we love you know, that I'm, I'm you, so shy, but I'm, I'm going to stand up for what I believe well, in sure. because I believe it, and I feel like if if you believe something, you should be proud of it. Otherwise, do you really believe it? I think that there is going to be maybe after the midterms. I don't know. I think there's going to be a whole crop of people who decide that now is the time. To well, be honest, I like this phrase: courage is contagious. Right. It really is. I mean, it just takes one or two to go running at the wall and the rest go, all right, we're going. And they all come running in behind. And, and I hope we see the same thing. I wrote a song yesterday called I'm Offended. <laughs> I'm offended that you're offended. Let's all get offended tonight. I'll buy us another beer and we can sit down right here and we can scream and yell and cuss and fuss and fight. Because I'm offended. I'm offended. You're offended. They're offended. I'm mocking the entire thing because it's so absurd. Uh, how people get so wound up and triggered over over things that, I mean, really, that's what you're upset about? So I'm writing country songs right now that, that just peck it right on the button, man, and uh, I'm having an absolute blast with it. So much content, and we always love listening to it. You're one of the real, like you said, the real McCoys out there willing to say it. And listen, next Tuesday, let's just, here's to hoping that we're not wrong. Yeah. Let's here's to hoping that we don't get 2020 again and that we've got something to celebrate on Wednesday. Yeah. And it's not going to be the CMA Awards because I'm sure that's going to be woke. And I'm sure that that's going to be every Hollywood star that has nothing to do with country music on that stage. Go look pretending at their ratings. To be, Just go look yeah. at the ratings of the last couple of CMA Awards. That'll tell the story. Yeah, it's very bizarre. And they want us to think that that's what's selling concert tickets, but it's actually not. If you look at some of the no. people they're trying to push out there as the new face of country music, they can't sell tickets. They can't sell but, tickets. And that if you can't sell tickets, you're never going to be. You want to be Loretta Lynn? Go sell tickets. Yeah. You know? They can't do it. No. You want to be Charlie Pride? Go sell tickets. Be anything. Be anybody, be anybody who's had success. You want to have a long career, you better be able to put butts in seats. Yeah. That's well, right. and at the CMA Awards as well. But it's always yeah. interesting. I think it gets a little bit more woke each and every year. Is Marin going to come now? Because I heard Marin say she might not come because she, did, she yeah. didn't feel comfortable if having the to face the music. There. She doesn't want to have to be around the people that she called a whole treasure trove of awful names, Nazi and insurrectionists, right. and go sell your hair and this, that, and the other. You know, to be quite honest with you, I think that Marin Morris could do very well to get some of Brittany Aldi's clipping extensions. I think that would help her. Cause. I think so, too. I think she, she could have used, <laughs> maybe use a few beauty tutorials. I'm just going to throw that out there. John, thank you so much for always being with us. We can't wait for your next song. Thank and you. And we know you always give them hell. So. Thank you, Tommy. We'll see you, uh, what happens next Tuesday, and then we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Fingers we'll crossed. have some fun. All right, up next, Joe Brandon and his party have done nothing but destroy our nation since they've been in charge, but they want you, the voter, to believe that once again, it's our former president and his supporters on the ballot. My final thoughts are next. Less than a week till midterms and our president isn't giving a speech on all the Democrat accomplishments because there aren't any. Instead, Mr. Dementia is rambling through yet another speech on Trump and January 6th. What a crock of utter crap. It's time for final thoughts. So what do you do when your popularity, the economy, and your party tanks? When inflation sits at a 40-year high, strategic oil reserves at historic lows, the border you're constitutionally required to protect is overrun, your status as commander-in-chief and leader of the free world has our enemies our real enemies literally laughing and your own party's candidates are begging you to stay the hell away from their races? Will you get up and you deliver some cockamamie, tired, overused, moronic drivel like this? 
I know there's a lot at stake in these midterm elections, from our economy, to the safety of our streets, to our personal freedoms, the future of health care, Social Security, Medicare. It's all important. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. I'm not the only one who sees it. He woke him up. He wanted to tie him up. The assailant ended up using a hammer to smash Paul's skull. Thankfully, by the grace of God, Paul survived. All this happened after the assault. And it just, I, it's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th. There's an alarming rise in the number of our people in this country condoning political violence or simply remaining silence because silence is complicity. The disturbing rise of voter intimidation. We don't settle our differences in America with a riot, a mob, or a bullet, or a hammer. We settle them peacefully at the battle, at the battle box, the ballot box. Is it just me, or is this damn near the same damn speech Darth Brandon fumbled through two months ago? A week before midterms, and this still mysterious Pelosi attack and January 6th is all they have? That tells you everything you need to know about what they've done and haven't done for our country. Joe flat out said, don't focus on the policy, his policy of the moment, and instead focus on damn January 6th, which was almost two friggin' years ago. It's too desperate and comical to even offend me at this point. I'm not even mad. I'm embarrassed. Not only that he's my president, but worse, there are still my fellow Americans out there dumb enough to still support him. And it's not just Joe, it's the whole lot of them. From the endless lockdowns, forced masking, forced vaxxing to the defund the police and release the felons movement, to our open border, economic policy that only adds to inflation, the climate extremism that drives up gas prices, and the war in Ukraine that is still costing us billions with nothing to show for it. The Democrat Party has literally effed everything up, everything. And instead of taking any accountability, ownership, or trying to fix the mess they've made, they triple down on mega Republicans and the man who's been out of office for two years as the biggest problem? If you're still planning to vote Democrat after all that, then God help you. You just might be beyond the point of redemption. Look at what you've put in office. Democrats and whiny never-Trumpers, look what you did. You should be hiding under a rock in embarrassment. See you next Tuesday. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.